Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we will be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use challenges, resources to assist individuals with a substance use challenge and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. This month, we are bringing you another conversation with a few of our organizational stakeholders. In this 12th episode of the series, we talk with Melanie and Scott of Landmark Recovery and Rabbi Elon of Our Jewish Recovery. And without further ado, let's get talking. Hi, listeners. I'm here with Scott and Melanie of Landmark Recovery. Scott and Melanie, welcome. Hi. Hi there. Hi, Scott and Melanie, do you want to spend a few seconds just introducing yourselves and the organization? Yeah, I'll let Melanie go first. Okay. So uh, my name is Melanie Cobb. I'm the director for Landmark Recovery Center here in Jefferson City. And I am Scott Breedlove and kind of the founder, president, CEO, I guess, of Landmark Recovery overall. Nice. Do you want to talk a little bit about Landmark Recovery and Landmark overall, how those fit together? Sure. So uh, I, well, I'm a person in long-term recovery, going on 31 years here in a couple of months. And so um, nice. I also pastor a church called Landmark Church. And so it's a vision of mine. Our church has always done a lot of recovery ministry. Um, and, and so for a number of years, I had a vision of, um, starting a recovery center for our community. You know, we're not there yet as far as my eventual vision or goal was that um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there would be a place here in Jeff City where if someone woke up at two o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday morning and said, I need to go get help, there would be a place they would come and there would be someone in recovery, you know, at least uh, sitting in a room waiting to talk to them or try to help them. So that was kind of the initial vision just, um, and so we've started down that road going on our third year, getting ready to come up, I, I think on our third year in existence. Um, and so Melanie came along, started attending our church, uh, a person uh, in recovery as well, Melanie is. And so, um, you know, we got to talking and she was the perfect person to kind of run the recovery center, uh, the state of Missouri had some funding where they were starting to fund recovery centers across the state. And so we applied to them and were given a grant two years ago to really help fund our recovery center. Um, And so that's kind of how we got started. We have been growing ever since. So we now have our main office in Jefferson City. We're open Monday through Friday, eight to four. And uh, we've now branched off and have a second office in another town, Fulton, Missouri, which is about 25 miles away, where we're also now doing peer work in Fulton as well, um, and just continuing to grow. So, Said it all, Scott. Nice. That's super exciting. Yeah, it's been a great journey so far. Nice. I'm sorry, Melanie, did I cut you off there? No, I was just saying it. He covered it all. <laughs> nice. So, Melanie, do you want to share a little bit from your perspective how you got connected? 
Yeah. Yeah. So as, as Scott mentioned, I started coming to the church, um, looking for a place to, uh, th- where they would be accepting of people in recovery. And I was already part of the recovery community in Jefferson City, Missouri. And I knew that a recovery center would be very beneficial to this area. And it, there's a huge need. So uh, I basically landed my dream job. The funding happened. The uh, the desire happened all at the same time. And it just landed in my lap. And I get to just watch people grow in their recovery day in and day out. It really is my dream job. Oh, I love that. Okay, uh, this is for either one of you. Um, but Melanie, you mentioned that you you were already connected in the recovery community in Jeff City um, and that you thought a recovery center was really needed. Are you all the only recovery center in the area? Yes. Oh, wow. What's the recovery landscape like out there? Well, it's somewhat a rural community out here. So there's just a lot of, um, you know, we talk about silos a lot. You've got various 12-step meetings and um, different faith-based organizations just trying to all run their own programs. And there needed to be a place where people could come to learn about all the options available to them. Gotcha. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, Landmarks Recovery Center and kind of how they fill that gap programmatically? Yeah, so we uh, don't have any treatment here. We don't have counseling or therapy. Um, There are other organizations that we partner with when people would like those resources. Um, So we just provide the recovery support. So people will come in and um, let's say that they have been going to a specific 12-step program and found out about our center and wanted to see what other fellowships there were active in Jefferson City. Well, we are pretty well up on our... uh, pretty knowledgeable about all the different options in Jefferson City. So we can explain um, on a basic level what's out there. And we have the connections to be able to call people and connect them with what they really want. Um, We have our free space here in the recovery center. People can sign up to use it. So like Codependency Anonymous comes, Narcotics Anonymous comes. Um, We have a faith-based recovery program um, that also, and we have a um, a NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness. They come and have a group. So we basically opened up one central hub for all these different silos of programs and tried to make sure that everybody knew we were all on the same team and to try to just fill any gaps that people were having. And one of the biggest gaps we saw was that people needed a place to go. And so people just started asking us to use our space. I like that. Talk to me a little bit more about your space. So we have uh, a small portion of the church building that we rent that is completely separate. Um, The recovery center itself Uh isn't faith-based even though we have those resources available if people ask for them. Um, We have a large group room and a big sanctuary conference room that people can uh, use. And we also have small offices for one-on-one work when people would like to come and, you know, work programs with their sponsors or other people in their support network. They can just request 
access to one of our rooms for some privacy. How's the relationship between the recovery center and the congregation? Um, it's great, you know, and so obviously is the president of the recovery, uh, Landmark Recovery and the pastor of Landmark Church. I'm kind of the, I guess, the central figure that brings those two together. But our church congregation is made up of a lot of people in recovery. And um, and so, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it works really good to have the recovery center housed here at the church. And even, again, the, the recovery center itself isn't a faith-based organization, but we can offer those services to those that want them. Um, and a lot of the people, you know, initiating their recovery um, are looking for a spiritual or faith-based component to that. So it's kind of cool to be right here at a church building and be connected. Um, and so, yeah, that works very well. Nice. I love to hear that. I'm always a little, I'm always curious because um, I grew up attending a church and um, we had um, a 12-step program, both AA and NA that met. And it was always just growing up around that. I No one ever really talked about it. They just shared space. And so I, I love that it seems like your group is really well-connected with the congregation and well-received and they have a great yeah. liaison between you, Scott. Yeah. In fact, I mean, even we, um, man, over a year or so ago now, you know, even on Wednesday nights, our church used to have a typical church Bible study and we uh-huh. replaced that with a recovery meeting. So we actually call it abundant life recovery. And it's, I call it a recovery slash church meeting, but that's one of our uh-huh. biggest uh, groups every week. We, um, we last like two weeks ago, we had 115 people there and that is a, just a, a broad mix of recovery slash church people all mixing together for that meeting every Wednesday night. So it's pretty awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just community done well, right? Where everyone's yeah. integrated and connected. Exactly. How's the relationship with the community beyond the church? So I can talk about that. Um, So we opened up our space to anybody that is uh, in contact with the same populations that we serve. So that has included probation and parole, um, pretrial services, something in Jefferson City, um, where they try to help people get to treatment if they really uh, have never been offered that before, before sending people just to just to prison. Um, We work with all of those agencies with RACS, which is a local um, domestic violence service in Jefferson City. And I mean, there's just countless agencies that we work with uh, where we refer to each other and try to try to work together. Yeah, I would add to that. Yeah, what Melanie's saying, just some other examples is the treatment courts in our city. County. Yeah. Um, so we have a good relationship uh-huh. with them. They, we put on a recovery week in September together. And so um, we just recently partnered with our county. So we're in Cole County and we just signed a contract with them a month or so ago. And so we now provide um, a juvenile anger management class for their, um, their mm-hmm. the juveniles that they work with. Um, and so, yeah, so the courts and our county, our city, 
just um, a lot of good relationships. Nice. What was it? What did it look like building those relationships? We initially uh, sought out any kind of resource guides that other agencies had and just started making appointments Uh with each one of them, explaining what we do and getting more direct information about what they do and who the point of contact should be and um, just how we could help other other agencies, um, what gaps that they saw were most important. When we were first starting out, we just wanted to find out where the gaps were and how we could help. And we're in the process right now of um, we started a coalition meeting once a month. And so we're, we uh-huh. invited all of these partners we're talking about. So we get together the second, third, second or third Thursday. I don't have it in front of me, but <laughs> the second or third Thursday of every month, we bring everybody to our location um, and we just sit and someone gives a presentation and we talk about what's going on in our community. Um, and so that it's been informal. And as we move on throughout this year, we'll be working on actually a filing paperwork and creating an official organization. That's a, a, a we're calling it CCRC, which is Capital City Recovery Coalition. So. Nice. What does uh, five years, 10 years down the road look like for Landmark? If you had no challenges or barriers, you could make it whatever you wanted it to be. Um, so my vision, again, some things, my vision is that eventually this would be open, to, you know, right now our center. So, you know, we have Landmark Recovery, the umbrella, and then under that Landmark Recovery Center. So for the, the center itself, mm-hmm. my goal, my vision is that it'd be open 24-7. So right now we're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 4. Again, I want a day where 24 hours a day, seven days a week, people can come to our center and find help. Um, Uh And then so we'll have Landmark Recovery Center. We want to continue to expand. My eventual goal or vision is that we will start buying houses or apartment buildings. And for every house or building we buy, we would hire a peer to oversee that house. So we would have Landmark Housing. Under land, so so again, if you think about landmark recoveries, the big umbrella under that, you would have landmark recovery center, then you would have landmark housing. We have a staff member currently that is um, about a year away from becoming a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, And the eventual Uh goal is to move her. So she works at the recovery center now, but the eventual goal would be then there would be another sub agency landmark counseling. And so it would be uh, providing counseling services. So, you know, we'll just, that's that's the vision that we would get Landmark Recovery Center to be 24-7. We would have a, a thriving Landmark housing uh, sub-organization and a thriving sub-organization called Landmark Counseling. Oh, I love that. That sounds incredible. Do you, do you for your, foresee yourself growing beyond? your current catchment or location? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we were up and running for about a year and a half in the county next to us, um, Callaway County, uh, the judge that oversaw all their court treatment courts there reached out to us 
And that's where then we opened a second office a year ago, roughly in in that county. And now we do case management peer services for the treatment courts in that county. Um, and we actually have um, a call recently or coming up. We were contacted recently to expand even more of those services we're doing for them. They want to talk to us. So and then Jeff City, Melanie said, is kind of rural, but it is the capital. I mean, it's a little, you know, it's 50,000 people, but it feels rural. But around Jeff City, there's a bunch of small towns. And so, you know, I could see one day um, there being a landmark recovery office in, in a number of these small towns. Yeah. Melanie, do you think it'll still be your dream job then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just uh, have people underneath of me who will get to do more of the fun stuff, but it'll still be my dream job <laughs> to watch it all grow, to to expand it and see people's lives change. No matter where it's at, it'll still be a dream. Yeah, when we yeah, started I this, that. I was going to say, when we started this three years ago, it was me, Melanie, and one other person. So we started with three of us, and now... We're up to a staff of seven, getting ready to bring on an eighth, plus about four other part or just contracted hourly people. So, you know, in three years, we went from three of us to about 12 or 13 people. Not including the volunteers. Yeah, not including the volunteers. So Um, it's been good growth. Yeah. What would you, so speaking about that, like, what would you, what would you want to share with someone who's kind of like, like go back three years, what would you have wanted to know then that you know now? Create a volunteer onboarding process. <laughs> First and, <laughs> and define what a volunteer and is. And I assume that's very separate than staff onboarding. <laughs> it's actually very similar, but um, I thought it would be very different in the beginning, but really it's, it's very... Um, Make sure that you teach ethics, ethics, ethics. <laughs> and a lot of one-on-one time tears. Yes. And if I went back, I would tell anybody starting out, I think it's very important to really think through what your vision and mission is. Because I think you can have mm-hmm. what I call mission drift very easily. And this is something that we even Uh talk about as a staff regularly. You know, we really, our focus is recovery and helping people navigate recovery. But because of some of the services and overlap, like if you're not careful, our recovery center can be looked at as a homeless shelter, maybe. And while we provide Uh a lot of services, well, the unhoused, and we want to provide those services and things. You know, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes people come to us, organiz- even other organizations, and want us to do this role or offer this service. And and it's very, and, and there's so many needs in our community, you can't do them all. And so we, it's right. really important, I think, to know, okay, what services are you going to provide and what services is it better to connect with someone else and not try to do them yourself? Right. You can get overwhelmed quickly trying to be all things to all people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
Is there is there anything else you'd like to pitch about Landmark Recovery or share or let people know how they can get connected with you all? I would say, too, that um, our events, we have several pro-social events that happen throughout the calendar. Uh, we have a, a website that you can go to that has all of our updated things. But what we found also is that you don't have to have super expensive events for people to feel like they want to come. Uh, one of our most well-attended events mm. is just a barbecue park. Nice. So um, Keep it simple sometimes, right? Yes, exactly. Anything that makes them feel comfortable, even if you need to have three barbecues a week or three barbecues a month instead of some giant event, um, those can be more effective. Well, I just I know we're coming up at the end of our time. So Scott and Melanie, I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing about Landmark. And uh, before we sign off, just to hand it back over to you if there's anything else you'd like to share. We just appreciate you, yeah, taking time to interview us. Um, we're excited about Landmark Recovery. We're excited about the recovery community and where it's heading uh, here in Polk County, Jefferson City, where we're at. Um, and I'll let Melanie wrap it up, or and if she wants to you know, mention the website or how people can connect to us, I'll let her do that. Exactly. That was the last thing I was going to say is our website is landmarkrecoveryjcmo.com. And... If anybody would like to reach out to me, um, needs help at, in, with anything or just wants to know our experience with starting one and running one, uh, my personal email is melanie at landmarkrecoveryjcmo.com. Wonderful. Thank you both. Thank you. All right, listeners, I'm here with Rabbi Elon of Our Jewish Recovery. Rabbi, welcome. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are? Sure. So I'm Rabbi Ilan. I am both a rabbi and in recovery myself from multiple addictions. And after getting myself into recovery, I started our Jewish recovery four years ago because I was looking around the Jewish world to see what resources we had to offer. And the short answer was not very much. There are a couple Jewish rehab centers, uh, there are a couple books, but there was no real place to find community. And I know that that's at the heart of addiction, and I just decided, well, let me start something. And I thought it was going to be a little small thing that I did on the side, and it has turned into a beautiful organization, Our Jewish Recovery. We've got all sorts of Jewish recovery meetings and classes and spiritual growth opportunities and retreats. And it's been a real joy to shepherd this endeavor uh, from a tiny little Facebook group to now we're, we're doing lots of great things. That's incredible. Do you want to talk a little bit more about like what those beginning days looked like? Sure. What the beginning days looked like. I remember, so I started the group because I wanted community and connection. And mm -hmm. I said, okay, if anyone who's interested, come, come talk, come learn. I had written a book called And God Created Recovery. And I was speaking a little bit and people were very moved when I shared but I knew this couldn't be just a book. So I, I started the Facebook group and I said, okay, come, come be a part of this. 
And at the very beginning, I remember it was mostly a few friends of mine who were happy to Mm -hmm. know me and and participate, which was great. And then others started joining a little bit. And I thought, well, let's have our own recovery meetings. Why, why shouldn't we? I have a Zoom room. We can, we can do that. So I created a few online Jewish recovery meetings and people started coming and that was lovely. And then. People said, hey, can we have other kinds of meetings? Can we have an AA-style meeting? Can we have a adult children of alcoholics meeting? Can we have a CODA meeting? Can we have LGBTQ meetings? Can we have other meetings? And I said, sure, let's have other meetings too. Great, let's do it. And and we started those meetings. And then there were other meetings. And then we, we added Torah study through a recovery lens, which is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we do that twice a week now. It's really lovely to study... Jewish wisdom through a recovery lens and recovery through a Jewish lens and see the parallels and connections between the two. And then we added online retreats and and twice a year. And it's just been, it's been really amazing. I remember at the beginning, I would post something, I would post an article, a comment, a thought, and at the very beginning, nothing would happen, right? Nobody would comment, nobody would respond. I'm like, come on, people, say something. And now, right, we have... 1,250 people in the Facebook group from all over the Jewish community, all over the world. And, and, and I, I'm not even the one who has to post things, right? People are posting their recovery birthdays and anniversaries. People are posting their struggles. People are posting articles. And it's not uncommon for, I mean, I have a hard time keeping up with it sometimes, which is, which is a beautiful problem <laughs> to have, right? Somebody mm-hmm. posts something and there are like 20, 30 comments on things. And it's really lovely to see how it's grown over time. And, and, and how that's happened is mostly by people inviting their friends to join. Mm-hmm. And that's been great. It's also true that many people, I think now there's more of an interest in recovery than there has been before. And people are struggling more mm-hmm. and people are Googling Judaism and recovery and they find us, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. And they're often very, very moved when they find a, a meaningful Jewish recovery community. Because unfortunately, most recovery meetings happen in churches. And God bless the churches for hosting them. White synagogues mm-hmm. too. I'm not opposed to churches hosting them. right? But many recovery meetings feel Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and that happens for a few reasons. One is the meetings happen in churches. Two, at the end of many meetings, people hold hands in a circle, bow their heads, and say the Lord's Prayer together. Now, Jews don't generally bow our heads in a circle. That's just not a thing we do. Right? Mm-hmm. And the Lord's Prayer, even though it was written in Aramaic by a Jew, and everything in there can be traced to earlier Jewish wisdom, makes people uncomfortable. Right. Sure, and, sure. and, and a lot of people who go to meetings and churches bring their Christianity with them as they should. Right. And there, and some of the early recovery literature comes out of the Oxford group, which was a Christian self-help organization. And, and there are some translation challenges for some Jews and to have a space where we can be both Jewish and in recovery and not have to explain either half of that sentence is really (laughs) remarkable because the Jewish world doesn't really know what to do with recovery. The recovery world doesn't always know what to do with the Jews when we can just be ourselves and be together and create a healing, nurturing environment. It's really remarkable what can happen. And that's what we're here for. That's beautiful and so well said. And 
again, I just love what you've said about community because that's, that's where recovery starts. And a lot of, and for addiction, that's a lot of what's missing is just that community and connection. And so I love that you've, you realized what was missing and you carved out and you're like, okay, well, I'll create it now. And I didn't realize, are you, do you, do you all have a brick and mortar or are you all virtual? We don't. We started four years ago and we've been entirely virtual since. We hope to add in-person retreats and we hope to add in-person Jewish. We, we want to create in-person Jewish recovery communities all over the Jewish world. But so far we are, we are entirely virtual. Which, but, of course, I mean, has that's pluses and minuses, but God willing, we'll, we'll get there. How many people are part of what we do? We have, so there are 1,250-some-odd in the Facebook group. There are also others who are on our email list. Not everybody is part of, not everybody's on Facebook, so that we have more people. Um, I would say the number of people who come to our things each week is probably... I don't honestly know the answer to that question, but it's probably around 100 each week are coming to a meeting or a class, and more are commenting and reading in the Facebook group, and some people come to special events, some people come to classes, some people are only reading, some people are worried about anonymity, so they're in the Facebook group, but they won't ever comment in the Facebook group, but, they, that, but they've told me that it's very meaningful for them to be able to be a part of it, and... We want to open as many doors as possible. So however people are able to connect with us, totally fine. We've started trying to educate the Jewish world to train rabbis and cantors and Jewish educators and in, in how to bring recovery to their communities. And we're finding some good interest in that, which is really lovely to see. Nice. What do your virtual retreats look like? We do those twice a year. We do them once before the fall Jewish holidays, before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And the second one happens before Passover. And so the retreats are an opportunity for us to have a larger gathering, which is nice. Uh, we usually have a keynote speaker or two, and then we invite members of our community and anyone else who wants to offer a workshop during the retreat. We have some musical interludes this year we're adding a concert to the to the september september 3rd retreat that'll be nice and it's an opportunity to really connect the jewish holidays to recovery and of course rosh hashanah and yom kippur are all about doing what we call the work of tshuva the work of returning the work of cheshbon hanefesh an accounting of the soul Right, is what we are meant to do during that time of year. And that's really what recovery is about, right? There are very obvious connections, but to give ourselves some spiritual preparation for the holidays, right? It's one thing to go to services and know what to pray and when to stand and when to sit and all those things. But it's another thing to really prepare yourself emotionally and spiritually. So we try to do that. Uh, and then Passover is all is all about leaving slavery and finding freedom and journeying together to the promised land. And of course, there are recovery parallels there too, right? We are trying to give people more tools to find personal freedom in their own life. And we know, of course, that we need community in order to do that. So it's a beautiful way to learn from others, to hear some new voices, to learn some new teachings, and to bring bring some new wisdom into our lives. I'm, I'm, I really enjoy them a great deal. They're a lot of work to put together, 
but it's a great sure. it's a great time. And we welcome guests. Anyone who wants to come is certainly welcome to be a part of them. Nice. How do people get plugged in with you all? Just Google on the Facebook page. Yeah. So the the two ways are our Facebook group is is the place to join, and we welcome. We welcome anyone who's interested in recovery, Jewish or non. We welcome family members, we welcome allies, anyone who wants to learn with us is certainly welcome to be a part. Uh, the website, ourjewishrecovery.com, has some more information about what we do, and there's a way to get on our email list. And you know, we send out a every Sunday morning, we send out the we send out a little update for me about what's going on and all the Zoom links for all of our meetings there. We don't post those publicly in order to maintain confidentiality and a safe space for everyone to, to be part of and to deter the Zoom bombers who are still unfortunately active. But, um, you know, that's the, the email list on the Facebook group are the, are the best ways. And then people can certainly reach out to me individually by email as well. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to jump back a little bit because you mentioned this early on and I, the listeners can't see, but I can see your book sitting on the background there. Do you want to talk a little bit about your book? Sure. So after I got into recovery and this, this December, I'll have nine years of recovery, which is really wonderful to be able to say. And so I started, I was working actually as the rabbi of a congregation at the time in Memphis, Tennessee, and I started looking around the Jewish world to find out what resources there were. And there were a couple of books, but there was no community I could join. And the book that I wanted to read, I didn't find. And I ended up writing it, much to my surprise. You could not have told me then that I would have written a book about this. Um, But I, I ended up, I wanted to look at the 12 Steps through a Jewish lens and see where were the sources and are there other sources from Jewish tradition that talk about addictive tendencies? And of course, the answer to that question is yes, right? And we have almost 6,000 years of Jewish history. We have plenty of stories of people getting themselves in trouble from different things, right? And, and one of the things that I teach is that addiction in the Jewish world is not new, right? This is a very old challenge. This is the challenge of being human. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's okay, right? But it's not that we're bringing in this foreign thing called recovery, right? It's that we are honoring the struggles that have always been part of human history and our history as well. So I wrote this book in order to, A, connect the two sides of my own personal life, my own spirituality, and my recovery journey. And I wanted to find as many connections as I could, and the book was was my my initial attempt to bring everything together and to look at the 12 steps through a Jewish lens, to look at Jewish wisdom through a recovery lens, to ask what pieces of Jewish tradition can be especially helpful to those on a recovery journey. And I've heard it said from a number of people that that before weren't very Jewishly active, that started keeping Shabbat, that started keeping Jewish holidays, that started approaching a sense of holiness and sacredness into their lives was incredibly helpful to their recovery journey, just as it has been for me as well, right? The more we can bring spiritual growth and learning into our lives, the more we can find community, the more we can bring our our, our passions out, I think the better the better we are. So the book was my attempt to 
bring bring all of that together and it it I'm 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 so grateful to have written it there will be more books someday and god willing we'd love to have a we'd love to have our own publishing imprint and publish a lot more resources and memoirs for the Jewish recovery community god willing we'll get there but uh, mm-hmm. it's lovely to be able to have the book and to use it as a tool and give it to others and say this will help you on your own journey Right? And that's what I needed when I got into recovery. I needed to hear people's stories. I needed to read. I needed to listen. I needed to learn. And and you couldn't have told me that I would have written a book and started a movement, but it's it's really remarkable the blessings that recovery can bring. Truly. And I think it speaks so much to your character. You you wanted a resource and a or and specifically a book, but didn't find one. So you wrote your own and wanted a community couldn't find one so you created your own <laughs> that's pretty incredible well i um uh, yeah i i thank you yeah. <laughs> i don't know yeah. what to say it it, it is <laughs> it's wonderful to be able to to make things happen and to be a voice for healing in the jewish world and a voice for jewish life in the recovery world it's really a it, it, it's a beautiful thing for me to be able to do I'm 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 honored every day. I love that. I I want to jump back to um you said you've been working with other Jewish leaders about, you know, training them to be kind of this recovery ready space and and to be part of this community too. What have those conversations been like and have you faced many challenges? I think the I'll say a couple of things. One is often uh, oh, there's a couple of challenges. One challenge is rabbis, cantors, and Jewish educators receive basically zero training when it comes to addiction. Right? Mm-hmm. We just we haven't we aren't training the professionals of the Jewish world. This is true for the non-Jewish world as well. This is true in many other faith communities. We're not right. alone in this, right? And I've, I've, I'm part of other interfaith groups, and I've asked priests and ministers and imams what kind of training they receive around addiction, and they said basically nothing, right? Or maybe there was an optional elective class that you could take, um, mm-hmm. but most seminaries just don't offer it because it's not. There's only so many hours and so many things they can teach, and not. Enough people are trained in how to teach this. So part of the challenge is convincing people that we even need to have this conversation. Because if you're not trained in it, then either you might feel like you're not qualified to even discuss it, or you might even go so far as to think, well, if I wasn't trained in it, if nobody else is talking about it, then it must be that we don't have this issue in our community. And I've definitely heard that from a number of rabbis who say, well, I'm not hearing about this, so I guess we don't have these problems, right? And and stereotypically, the old Jewish line in Yiddish says, says a shikr is a goy, which, which is to say, right, an alcoholic, a drunkard is a non-Jew, right? Which is to say, we don't have these problems. And of course we have these problems, right? We've had these problems for years, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to talk about them because there are too many stories of people uh, becoming addicted by being part of Jewish life and drinking too much and the peer pressure and eating and we we, we can do a better job. So part of 
what we need to do is just to remind people that addiction is part of every community, right? It doesn't matter what religion you are, doesn't matter which denomination you are, doesn't matter how active you are in the Jewish community or not, doesn't matter if you believe in God or not, right? Statistics have shown that about 10% of Americans are either in active addiction or in recovery, and that is probably true in the Jewish world as well, if not slightly higher. Right? So some of it is just educating our leadership to remind them we have these challenges. right? And it's not just the one in active addiction or in recovery, it's also their family members. Right? Which means we're probably talking about a third of our community. Right? And if that's the case, we should give as many tools to support them as possible. And when I say that, people understand it, but then the question is, okay, well, what are the tools? What can we do in our communities? And we we're putting together some guides to help people, 36 ways to bring recovery into your community. And, and that's very helpful for people because they're, you know, people need the practical day-to-day -day strategies. How can we do that? And we're, we're working on putting those together and distributing those. We're also working on creating uh, our first national Jewish recovery Shabbat. Can we get 100 communities all across the country, and if not the world, right, to on the same weekend in September to speak about recovery publicly and to help end the stigma and, of addiction in the Jewish community? I think it would be a remarkable thing. Right? And then, of course, even more in following years, God willing. Um, so people are, the people who are aware enough to know that it's a problem are happy to learn with us. The challenge is how do we convince the people who don't know that it's a problem or don't want to see the problem to mm -hmm. learn with us? And the answer is slowly. <laughs> right? We can't we, we we can't do everything all at once, right? We're not gonna change everybody's minds, but we're gonna reach those who we can reach. And and I've heard it I've heard it too many times from people who say I went to my rabbi and told them I was struggling with addiction and they had nothing to offer me. Right? I don't need every rabbi and Jewish educator to become an addictions counselor, right? That's not going to happen, and that doesn't need to, mm -hmm. right? But what I mm -hmm. want all of our leaders to know is that there is a community for to support people, and there are resources in the Jewish world, and we want to be that resources that people turn to. And it's, it's lovely when people find us and they find the community in some cases that they didn't even know they were looking for, right? I've heard, I, I've heard from more than a few people, including just yesterday, someone came, we have a morning service on Wednesdays, and someone came and said that they didn't realize just how much they were missing being part of a Jewish community. Oh, wow. And that's really lovely to me, to have people who haven't been as connected find a place to call home again. It's really, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing for us to be able to do this work. Yeah. Thank you. Do you, I'm going to interrupt a little bit. Do you have a cat on your lap? We have we have two cats, and uh, our boy cat, Parrot Stove, is becoming more of a lap cat. So, yes, he, he he's happy to say hi to all of your listeners. Oh, hello, cat. I had to mute earlier because my lab, who has arthritis, uh, was coming down the stairs, and he can be uh, quite loud. <laughs> and so it sounds like I have a big old beast tromping down my stairs, but... <laughs> it's beautiful to have the fur balls keeping us company. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. 
I, I know for for a lot of us, being alone with ourselves is a scary proposition. to To have uh, to have the pets with us is really is really beautiful. Yeah, I can't remember where I read this, but it uh, still resonates with me. It might have been a greeting card or something, <clears throat> but that pets are the are the only beings that we welcome into our sacred alone time. And I think about that a lot because I, I do tend to really like my alone time. But if my dogs are with me, it still counts. Sure. There's a there's there's a great scene in the movie 28 Days with Sandra Bullock where she goes to rehab. And there's a there's a really fabulous and very funny scene where one of the therapists at the rehab is is played by Gilbert Gottfried. And he's very funny. And one of the one of the residents in the rehab says, "How do I know when I leave here when I can start dating again?" Mm. And and Gilbert Gottfried, the therapist, looks at looks at the room and says, "Here's what you do: when you leave here, you go out and you buy a plant. If after a week you haven't killed the plant, then you get a dog." If the dog is still with you at the end of 30 days, right, then you can think about dating again. Right? <laughs> and there's something and, and and there's something beautiful about, right? These pets give us love, but they also give us responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Right. And they help give mm-hmm. us a sense of duty. And and it's not just us, right? Sometimes we get too focused on our own our own issues, right? And the pets don't care, right? They just will jump up and say, love me and feed me and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and give me your love. And, and we forget sometimes that we have love to give. So these, these pets mm-hmm. are a great reminder. I love that. I love how full and circle when, this became. <laughs> and, and, and fun when they fall asleep in our laps as this one just did. Yes, very much so. I, I'm jumping back now to, um, I feel like I've said jumping back several times in this. So I'm jumping all around, but I'm, I'm thinking about, I love what you said about mirroring Judaism and not just 12-step, but with recovery. And I'm I'm wondering what that process looked like for you and kind of the beauty of that integration. Um, yeah. I think that I... So I'm both a rabbi. I'm also a rabbi's kid, right? I literally grew up mm-hmm. in synagogues and summer camps and Jewish schools. And and, and Judaism has always been a, lo- a big part of my life. That said, I think rabbinical school really helped me bring it even more personally and define spiritual growth and connection uh, is something that the school that I went to is 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 known for and very helpful. And to... And, and to be able to pray, I mean, what is what does it mean to pray, right? To pray is to open our heart, to connect to something bigger than us, right? Mm-hmm. Now we can ask for help, we can express gratitude, we can try to be moved when we pray. Now, there are all, all sorts of challenges with prayer. If you're, right, traditionally there are three Jewish prayer services a day, and if you say all three of them every day, it's a lot of praying, and if you say them every day, it gets a little bit rote, right? Mm. And the question is, how do we, how do we keep it fresh? How do we keep our connection with with 
the God of our understanding, with the Holy One, present in our lives in a way that nourishes us. Now, I want to say, of course, that you don't have to believe in God to be a good person or to be a good Jew. You don't have to keep all the commandments. You don't have to do anything to be a good person, right? You just have to be a good person, right? For me, the purpose of all religions is to make us better people and to make us better stewards of the planet. Right? And when we use Jewish wisdom, and all faith traditions have beautiful wisdom, right? When we use wisdom to support our daily growth, I think it it opens new doorways for us. So, for example, there are uh, there's a Jewish tradition that says that we should pray a hundred blessings every day, right? And a blessing is just basically saying thanks or wow, or how beautiful this is, right? As an addict, many of us are very good at pointing out all of the challenges and all of the disappointments. What does it mean to force ourselves to say a hundred blessings every day? Right now, obviously, you don't have to count, right? Like, it's not about creating a checklist and saying, did I get to a hundred today, right? That's not the point. The point is to open our heart. Right. The point is to find meaning. The point is to is to embrace the world with a sense of hope and possibility. Right. One of the first things we're supposed to say uh, in Jewish tradition: the minute we wake up in the morning, we're supposed to say, "Thank you, God, for returning my soul back to me." How much mm-hmm. faith you must have in me. Right now, the rabbis of old used to believe that when you went to sleep, you actually died. Right? And it was only through God's grace and benevolence that God would wake you up in the morning, giving you your soul back. Right? We know today that's not exactly how, how the scientific process of going to bed works. Right? Mm-hmm. But this life that we have is so fragile sometimes. Mm-hmm. And for recovery to work, we need to be able to find ways to make meaning and to understand our lives as part of a community. And we need to understand why we're here. Right. And, and, and for me, spirituality is a huge part of the answer to that question, right? Being able to connect to others, being able to pray with others, being able to find strategies to turn off the, the, the to-do list in my head that says, why haven't you done that yet? Right? You're <laughs> such an incapoop because all the things on your to-do list haven't been completed. What's wrong with you? Right. I think many of us have that voice and that voice it's frustrating, right? And finding yeah, ways yeah. to tame that voice, whether it's meditation, mindfulness, prayer, yoga, music, walks in nature, whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? We all need moments that we can sort of transcend ourselves and and rediscover the blessings that are there for us. And for me, nature, music, prayer, study, those are the big ones for me. But I hope that everyone has opportunities to discover the best of themselves and to feel connected to something bigger. I think we need that. And in recovery, we're so, uh, many of us are too attached to our wounds and our pain. Mm. And if we can learn to attach ourselves to blessings and dare I say, even joy, right. Then our recovery will be stronger and we'll have more tools to navigate challenges as they come our way. For me, having a spiritual growth 
spiritual practice that underpins recovery has made a big difference. And I discover new connections regularly, and that's a beautiful thing. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I know we're wrapping up our scheduled time. So before we sign off, is there anything you want to add or share with our listeners? Sure. I want to share a couple of things. One is if anyone out there is listening and needs more support, please give yourself the gift of finding it, whether that's mm. with us or someone else, right? We all deserve healing. We all deserve community and connection and support, and we are not meant to do this life alone, right? So I hope anyone who's listening will will find the support they need. If we can be helpful to anyone on, the, on your recovery journey, whether being part of our Facebook group, whether part of individual or group coaching or spiritual growth opportunities, by all means, please join us. We'd love to have you do so. And I want to, I'll, I'll end with one of my favorite stories from Jewish tradition which is about, as a story that comes from the Talmud, it's about 2,000 years old, right? And it's about a teacher who goes in to visit his teacher, right? And the teacher's teacher is, is lying ill, right? He's not feeling well, he's in his bed, he's not, he's not doing too well, right? And the student goes to visit the teacher, and the student says to the teacher, do you value your suffering? Do you desire to be ill and afflicted? And the teacher says, no, of course not. I value neither the suffering nor its reward. Right? And the student says, give me your hand. And he, he takes the teacher's hand and he pulls him out of bed and he heals him. How exactly that happened, I don't know. Right? But he, he pulls up the teacher and the teacher is healed. Right? Now, later on, the student who had healed the teacher he himself becomes ill and under the weather. His student goes to visit him and says, do you desire to be ill and afflicted? And he says, no, I value neither the suffering nor its reward. And the student of the student of the teacher, right, says, give me your hand. He gives him his hand, he picks him up and he heals him, right? So the Talmud, the rabbis of the Talmud ask this question. If the student could heal his own teacher, why did he need his student to heal him, right? If he could heal someone else, let him stand himself up from his own bed and be healed, right? Why does he need someone else? And the rabbis of the Talmud say, a prisoner cannot release themselves from their own shackles. We need mm. other people to release us and to give us the freedom, right? And it's one of my favorite stories because that's really what recovery is all about, right? Mm -hmm. Helping take off the shackles that we have accumulated over the years, right? The pain, the trauma, the emotional frustrations, the challenges, the struggles, right? Recovery gives us a community of people who are willing to walk with us on the journey and to say, I've been where you've been, or I've had similar struggles. Let me share with you my tools. And together, we can release each other from our shackles. And I hope that that happens for all of us today and every day, one day at a time. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And thank you for being here today. My honor. So glad to be here. 
Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org, or wherever you find your podcasts. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.